0: Well, have you ever had a terrible day? <laughs> Never. Have you ever had a horrible day? <laughs> have you ever had a very bad day? <laughs> you know, we can have days that are, eh, we can have days that are challenging, we can have days that are difficult, but sometimes in life it can actually feel like the day that we're having may feel like a week, it may feel like a month, and it's not just one bad day, but it might be a bad season, where it seems like there's this extended period of time that is just very bad, no good, terrible, horrible, a very bad day. We go through those seasons in life all the time. And the challenge for all of us is how do we respond to the very bad day? I was just reading an article recently and it says that, you know, research when it comes to, to people and how people respond to situations around us, for years and years and years, people said personality is fixed and basically whatever kind of bad day that happens, you, you will always respond in the exact same kind of way. Because that's just who you are. It's how you're, you are wired. But the good news is, is we as followers of Jesus don't actually believe that. We actually believe that there is a greater power that's available to you that can change who you actually are. And that you can respond to a very bad, terrible, horrible, no good day radically different than the people around you. Not because of how good you are, how religious you are, or how holy you are, but because of God's work in you. And that's what I want to talk about today as we continue our At The Movies series. This is a series that we do every summer. We take big Hollywood blockbuster movies and we find the biblical truth hidden in these movies to help us learn more about the kingdom of God, to learn more what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world that we live in today. (laughs) You know, And if you're here today or if you're watching this online and you would say, you know what, I wouldn't actually consider myself to be a follower of Jesus. I really hope that today just kind of opens your eyes to the things of God. There's a lot of misconceptions in the world today about the Christian faith and what Christians believe. Sadly, I think we are known for what we are against and what we hate (laughs) instead of for what we are known for and what we love. And we as a church firmly want to see that reputation completely changed. We want to be men and women and boys and girls who are known for our love. The love that we have for God. The love that we have for our neighbor. The love that we have for people who are radically different than us. Not because we're better or holy, but because we worship a king who loves the world so much. So today what I want to use for our, kind of our story is we're going to look at 11-year-old Alexander. 11-year-old Alexander, he didn't just have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That just seems to be Alexander's life. He's kind of kid number three out of four kids in a, in a well-to-do suburban family, and everyone in his family seemed to be hashtag blessed. I've had a bunch of teenagers in my house this weekend. I'm trying to be cool. Sorry if I fail miserably. Um, I usually do. Um, his whole family is blessed. They have everything going for them. Yet Alexander seems to be cursed in his family. He's the one who just has a bad day every day. When he gets out of bed in the morning, his skateboard is right there, and he slips on it and goes crashing down first thing out of bed. He fell asleep the night before with gum in his mouth, and now the gum is completely stuck in his hair. <laughs> He gets into the carpool with the neighbors and his friend takes a picture of him and he's got this new app on his phone where he can take his friend's head and put it on bikini models and sends that out to all the kids in school to make fun of him. On his way to school, the girl that he's got a crush on, he's all excited to see her and he trips on the sprinkler system and the grass and face plants in the ground right in front of this girl sitting in chemistry class with the same girl that he's got this crush on. He's trying to impress her with how witty and how smart he is. He sets her notes on fire with the Benson burner that's there and almost burns down the entire class. (laughs) And to top the day off, his parents forget to pick him up at the end of a very bad, terrible, horrible day. (laughs) This is just Alexander's life. And the people around him are so happy and so blessed. And if you've ever had a bad day, don't those people whose lives are going really good, don't they just bug you just a little bit? (laughs) Imagine having the kind of day in life that Alexander is having and his kind of sister in grade 8. She's like the star of the show. She's about to premiere in the school play of Peter Pan. And everyone loves her because she's such a great performer and actress or his older brother who is dating the most popular girl in school and is about to be made the Duke of the prom, or his mom who's this successful VP in a, in a children's book publishing company, even the dad who is an aerospace engineer who's been unemployed for seven months. You'd think someone who's been unemployed for seven months, at least that guy would be grumpy and crabby. No, he's the most optimistic man on the planet. And he's about to land this job interview at one of the best video game companies in the world because they need his space shuttle expertise to design the next big video game. So Alexander sees these people who are so blessed, and he just wants them to taste a little bit of his bad day. (laughs) Because he feels like no one understands him. If they could just understand what it's like to live my life, maybe I'd get a little bit of sympathy. (laughs) So at 12.01, a little bit after midnight, it's his 12th birthday. He gets up in the middle of the night and has a pity party. How many of you do that when you have a very bad, horrible day? Pity parties are awesome. I am the king of pity parties. You should come to one of my pity parties. They are the best party in town. And he makes a little sundae and he puts a candle in it. And his birthday wishes that his family would just experience a terrible, no good, very bad day. Just as they can relate. And then they do. And all chaos breaks out in this family that is trying to deal with bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And what this story tells us is how do we respond? How do we respond when things don't go our way? How do we respond... When we lose our job, when a relationship breaks down, when teenagers rebel, when we flunk an exam, when the person that we've got the crush on rejects us, when we realize there's not as much money in the bank as the bills are looking for, what do we do when there's a really bad day? The Bible is actually filled with stories about men and women who experience very bad days. And we look to the story of these people, not to imitate what they do, but rather to learn about their faith. What is it about their faith in God that allows them to to almost supernaturally deal with a horrible, terrible, no good day? And so what I want to do is I want to look at probably what is known as one of the worst days that anyone has ever gone through in the Bible. If anyone has had a terrible, horrible, really bad, no good day, it was the Apostle Paul. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to the book of Acts, right at the very end. Acts chapter 27 and Acts chapter 28 is what I want us to look at today. If you download the church app, there's a button on there that says Sermon Outline, you can actually follow along that way, and it's a great way that you can take notes as well. To, if God speaks to you, if you learn something new or something challenges you, encourage you to write this stuff down and process it and look at it. The, the Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar with his story, the Apostle Paul was not always a follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. What the Pharisees were, it was a group of men, it was a group of religious leaders in ancient Israel who were responsible for kind of the teaching of God's law, for keeping the people of Israel in check, to make sure that everyone was living this holy and righteous life. The Pharisees were the ultimate people when it came to knowing the Bible, knowing the commands of God, knowing the traditions of the elders, and they made sure everybody else was following it. Because it wasn't just good enough for them to be holy and righteous, but they better—they made sure everybody else was doing their part as well. And Paul was kind of the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he earned this birthright. His father was a Pharisee. He comes by this naturally. He's a leader in the Jewish church, or the Jewish faith. And when this new movement shows up of Jewish people, Following this Jesus of Nazareth, this son of a carpenter, this person who the Jewish leaders weren't very keen on, Paul was incredibly zealous in arresting these new Christians, imprisoning them, shutting their churches down fast, wanted nothing to do. It was like a corruption of the Jewish faith, and he was going to stop it. And then Paul has a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus on his way to arrest people. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in his glory, comes to this Paul and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that's great language. (laughs) Because he wasn't persecuting Jesus, he's persecuting the church. (laughs) He's persecuting Christians. (laughs) And Jesus, as the head of the church sees that as persecution against himself. Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul has a complete life change. And he spends years, years, studying the scriptures and learning how Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of the promises of God. That how the the Messiah that the people of Israel have been waiting for has been found in Jesus. The one who would save humanity from their sin. The one who would be seated on the the throne of God forever. The one who would wipe away every tear. Who would cure every illness. Who would make the world new. This Messiah had come. And Paul radically changes his life to follow this Jesus. And so he he goes from the highest positions of leadership to becoming a prisoner. Because of his faith. See, the people around him didn't like that message. You see, the message of Jesus is the only way to God, in a culture where they believe that there are all these different gods, there's all these different religions, there's all these different ways to believe, the idea that there is only one way to heaven, there's only one way to know God, that's not a popular saying. It wasn't popular 2,000 years ago, and it's definitely Not popular today. But that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Paul, the former Pharisee, dedicated his entire life to that message. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so he finds himself under house arrest. So he's arrested Because of his faith, everywhere that Paul goes, a crowd rises up who wants him dead, wants him arrested, wants him driven out of town. They're going to throw him in prison. But because Paul, yes, he's a Hebrew, but he's also a Roman citizen by birth. And because he's a Roman citizen, that comes with certain perks and rights. It's kind of like if you as a Canadian were in another country. You could go to the Canadian embassy for protection. That's what Paul does. He cries out, says, "No, nope, because I'm a Roman, I want to be able to bring my case before Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And they have to honor that. So Paul spends months on a journey to bring him before Caesar. And so that's what's kind of going on here as we look at this text. What's happening here is Paul finds himself a prisoner on a boat. It's the bad time of year. It's not the time of year when, you know, wise sailors should be sailing. But because they want to push through, they want to get there fast, they decide they're going to do it. And they're in this huge storm. They're afraid they're going to, you know, sink. And then we see here, I'm going to read starting in Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 41. What the sailors decide to do is, because the sea and the storm, it's so dangerous, they decide, let's try to run the ship aground. Basically what that means is find where the water isn't very deep and get it to hit sand so it will stop instead of being smashed up against the rocks somewhere. If you have the choice, which would you prefer on your very bad day, on a ship in a storm, for the sand, maybe we'll survive that compared to surviving the rocks, <laughs> right? And this is what we see goes on here, starting in verse 41. It Says so, but the ship su- uh, st- struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Board first and get to land, right? The rest were to get up there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Talk about a bad day. (laughs) Then chapter 28 continues. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us, all because it was raining and cold. Okay, so this bad day, it's turning around. There's some hope. Some people are treating us nice, feeding us, making a warm fire. So Paul, he gathers a pile of brushwood, puts it on the fire, and a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, well, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up suddenly and fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, He must be a god. <laughs> you see, this day that Paul's having just kind of goes from being a prisoner to being in the cast of Gilligan's Island <laughs> to being eaten by snakes. <laughs> it just seems to get getting worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> but what we see here in this text is Paul's response <laughs> To his very, very bad day. You see, in our story with Alexander, when the family starts having this really, really bad day, you know, Mom, who's a VP of a children's publishing company, they've got this new book that's coming out, and they're expecting this book to sell like hotcakes, and they've got celebrities that are going to be reading the book around the country to, for promotions and to really kind of jack up the sale of this book. And the book is to help young moms in the potty training years, to help your little one learn potty training, right? And the name of the book is Who's Ready to Jump on the Potty? <laughs> well, throughout the entire book, what happened in there in the mom's really bad day is the J was turned into a D. <laughs> Jump, take the J off, put the D. Who's ready to? <laughs> on the potty. Every word and every mom who hears this has a complete meltdown. Like, oh, my God. I can't believe you put that in a children's book. And this famous comedian who's known for his family values is reading this book online in front of millions of people. Her career is officially over. Dad shows up to his interview for this big, huge corporation. Dad's in his late 40s, and he walks in, and the senior VP looks like he's 22 And they're all playing foosball and ping-pong ball and doing the thing and running around on rollerblades in the office. And they just look at him going, yeah, you're way too old to work here. The older brother, who's so excited to be made the Duke of the Prom. His girlfriend, the most popular girl in school, dumps him. His tuxedo was given to somebody else, and he's stuck wearing this baby blue 1970 tux to prom. And then he flunks his driver's test and almost kills everyone on the streets while trying to get his license. The sister, on opening night, gets the worst case of a summer cold and just starts knocking down NyQuil like it's water and literally brings the house down from having a little bit too much medication on stage. A bad day. What kind of bad day have you ever had? I can think of the bad days I've had. You know, and people say, oh, you're a pastor. What kind of bad days do you have? It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. We all have bad days. Because that's the way the world works. Jesus never promises us an escape from bad days. In fact, the teaching of Jesus says the exact opposite. Jesus said to his followers in this world, you will have many troubles. There's no get-out-of-bad-day card available for the Christian. There is no get-out-of-bad-day card for the pastor. We all have them. The challenge is, how does our faith as followers of Jesus, help us respond to that bad day. I mean, just look at Paul's bad day. There's like big things here going on. Look at the fact, like there's three things in this story that we see about Paul's bad day. This is really bad stuff that Paul's going through. I think what happens is these stories become so familiar to us, we're going, okay, yeah, that's Paul. What I love about these type of stories is put yourself in the story. And you realize just how terrible this is. Like just imagine for a moment you're a prisoner. And not only are you a prisoner, is you used to be a member of society's elite. You were a leader of leaders. You could go anywhere and get the best seat anywhere. You were respected by everybody. Because of the position you had. And then you go from this incredibly respected position to being a prisoner. I've talked to a number of people who, who've shared with me their retirement and high powered, high positioned people where their identity is in kind of what they do and that position that they hold. And the day they get that retirement handshake and they're given that golden watch, and the day after, no one calls anymore. Suddenly they're not so important anymore. All those relationships where everyone was always calling you and everyone was always inviting you to to the best party, to the best meeting. I have talked to so many people that in that season of life, That's a really hard, terrible day. Because you go from here to here overnight. That's what Paul experiences. Going from this religious leader to um, being a prisoner. And the only thing that Paul changed was where he directed his hope. Instead of his hope being in religious tradition and in religious rules, his hope shifted to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That my sin is dealt with because of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't have to be religious. I don't have to keep all these rules. I don't have to keep all these commandments. My sin is completely wiped away because of what Jesus has done for me. And shifting his focus takes him from there to being a prisoner. Paul was promised, he had a divine promise from God that he would bring the gospel, that he'd bring the good news of Jesus to Rome, the most important city in the world. And it took two and a half years before that promise happened. And in those two and a half years, he was beaten and arrested, and they tried to kill him. It was a hard season of life. That's the life of a prisoner. We also see in this story that Paul is shipwrecked. What's crazy about this is that we actually read in another letter in the New Testament that before this event, Paul was in three other shipwrecks. This is shipwreck number four. Can you imagine for a moment that you're on a business trip on an airplane, and it crashes, and you walk away? Are you getting in a plane again? Nope. Nope, I barely want to get into a plane now. I've learned a great trick. I used to be terrified of flying. Last April, I was doing a lot of trips and traveling all over the place. Um, Graval, recommended dosage is one. Four is awesome. <laughs> Just saying. Check with you. I'm not a doctor. Don't follow You know what I'm saying here. But four Gravols. best takeoff ever. <laughs> Flipped through the whole thing. One shipwreck. I'm just going to stay home and write letters. Why not? That's what Paul does, right? Your whole New Testament is Paul just writing letters to the church. Why go? Why get on another boat after the first shipwreck? No, he does it two more times. Three shipwrecks. And then he does it again. Shipwreck number four. It's psychotic. But he does it. And then snakes. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Snakes. To quote a different movie. (laughs) Paul finds himself on the island of Malta, and he meets islanders. This Greek word here that we translate into islanders is the same word that we get, that we make the word barbarians from. He comes across, they're not Jewish, they're not Greek, they're barbarians. And that's why Luke, in his writing of this, he's surprised by them being well-treated. Right? He's surprised, like, oh my goodness, we've come before this tribe of barbarians, and they're treating us well. They didn't kill us. Nice. And then snakes show up, poisonous vipers, come out of the woodwork, literally. Bite onto his hands, like, Really? 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 <laughs> this is the kind of day he's having. It's bad. And and this is the thing, I think sometimes we get so familiar with the text that we just skip it and we forget how terrible and how horrible and how no good and how very bad this is of what Paul is going through. But what we see here is Paul's commitment to the mission. It's his commitment to Jesus that changes how he responds to this terrible, very bad, no good, horrible day. (laughs) In fact, what we see in this story, and so many other stories in the Bible, when people have these kind of days, what gets them through it is their love of God, their knowledge of God, and how God is working in their lives. So you could almost think of it this way is that a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day can be an amazing blessing. (laughs) A terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day can be almost 50. They're never going to hire him because he's so old, but because of this horrible day that he has, he finds himself in a restaurant in a pirate shirt, sets himself on fire by accident. And these 20-year-olds think he's the coolest guy ever. So they hire him. Wow, this guy's awesome, dude. We need this guy here. Mom, whose boss has gotten getting rid of her because of a typo in a children's book, turns out this video goes absolutely viral. And everyone is now trying to get their hands on this book sells more than any other children's book, so mom is promoted. (laughs) The older brother, who was so desperate to be the guy dating the most popular girl in school, realizes that pursuing that kind of life isn't worth it. (laughs) That she's actually not a nice person. And it's not good for him to be with those type of people. So he makes the decision to cut off those no-good relationships and just be with people who are a blessing to him. The sister who takes down and knocks down the stage in her kind of overdosed on cough medicine stupor. She's the hit of the play, and they want her to do more and more acting gigs because of it. A terrible, horrible, very bad day can be an awesome blessing, depending on our hearts and how we respond to them. Right, so what does Paul do? What do we see in Paul's attitude? What do we see in Paul's heart? Well, it has to do with his relationship with Jesus. Right, if, if your focus is on your plans, if your focus is on your comfort, if your focus is on your popularity, your money, whatever that might be, when that's the focus, when those things go off course... You're going to be miserable. The Bible says fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we keep our eyes on Jesus as his followers, what happens around us, it's not easy, it's hard, it's difficult, sometimes very painful. But it can be an amazing blessing. Because Paul kept his eyes on Jesus, look at the blessings that he had. The first thing that we see is the blessing of of his ministry. Like He gets to go to this island that he had no intention of going to and bringing the message of Jesus to people that it wasn't even on his radar to bring that message there. We read further on in Acts chapter 28 that the chief of these barbarians is sick and Paul goes there and brings healing to the chief of the barbarian. Bringing the message of Jesus to a group of people who would never have heard this good news. That's a huge blessing. I've met these people and you've met these people who have had horrible days or horrible seasons of life. And because of what they've gone through in those bad days, they've had amazing ministry to bless people, to point people to Jesus, to show them the love of God, not because they're perfect, but because they're bruised, wounded, people who keep their eyes on Jesus and the ministry blessing of that. Somehow in the North American church, we've lost this idea. We think it's only perfect people can do ministry. (laughs) If that's what we'd expect, I should not be doing ministry. It's broken people, wounded people who've seen victory not in what we do, but victory in what Jesus has done through us, that have the best ministry in this world, that have a greater impact, who show people the love of God, who can connect with people that religious perfect people could never connect with. (laughs) So the ministry opportunities are huge and can be an awesome blessing. The second thing that we see about Paul in here is the companionship. That we build. Right? Paul, we see in here, is never alone. I love the shift as we read this. It shifts to the, kind of to the pronoun we. 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 We're doing this together. This is written by Luke. Luke spent years. He was a doctor. And he spent years studying the ministry of Jesus. I love talking to people who say, oh, the Christian faith is for people who aren't very smart. It's for the uneducated. It's for people who need a crutch. No, it's for doctors and lawyers and politicians, people who are smart and educated and use their brains. The Christian faith is not a blind faith. Faith. Christian faith is not a blind faith. Yeah, that's right. Okay. (laughs) We can use our brains, and it's a good thing. So Dr. Luke spends years studying about Jesus and writes his gospel, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But he's not just some doctor who studied it and sitting in a library. He's in the boat with Paul. It's those relationships, those companionships that we build when life is tough. And sometimes when life is tough, we find out who our friends really are. There's a lot of people who are willing to hang out with us when you're CEO. But when life is bad and hard, the people who show up there are truly the people who are important in our lives. So how we build those relationships can be an amazing blessing. We can meet people and foster relationships that we never would have had without that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then finally... It's the destination. Paul's eyes are not fixed on the problem. They're fixed on the destination. Is God promised Paul that he would go to the most influential city in the world. God promised Paul that he would stand before kings and emperors and tell them about Jesus. And he never doubted it. (laughs) He didn't doubt it as a prisoner. He didn't doubt it in four shipwrecks. He didn't doubt it while vipers were hanging from his fingers. He always had his sight on the destination. And God brought him there. God was faithful to his promise. And Paul was able to bring this incredible message of Jesus' love to the world. And that message brought to Rome radically changed human history. When Caesar, generations later, became a Christian and made the Christian faith legal. Every road leading out of Rome that could touch the entire world, suddenly we saw the gospel going everywhere. All because Paul knew the destination. So what about us? What are you and I going to do with our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We're going to sit at home in the dark, have a pity party. They're fun, don't get me wrong, but we need to knock them off. We need to blow out the candle, tie up our shoelaces, and keep our eyes on the prize. It's not about the pity party, about what we're going through, but about what God wants to do in us. And through us. And it starts for all of us of knowing who Jesus is. Like I said at the very beginning of this message, science would tell us that you have a fixed attitude. And regardless of the day you have, your attitude will never change. Faith tells us something different. Faith tells us that you can have a new heart, that you can be made new that you can become a completely different person, not because you keep all these rules or you keep all these regulations, not even because you go to church, but because Jesus died for you. That this heart of stone that we have because of our sin, our pride, our arrogance, whatever that might be, that 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 heart of stone can be taken out of us and we can be given a heart of flesh a heart of love and of mercy and of justice and of peace and of long suffering you like to skip that one long suffering we can do that when we're made new and we're made new very simply when we realize that Jesus died for us that Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay that God, because God is so holy, he's so perfect, he's so just, he's so loving, because God is so all of those things, sin just, and God, they just can't mix. And for thousands of years, humanity has tried to create religion to make God happy. But none of us are good enough to make a religious tradition that will make God happy because we all sin, we all fall short. Of that glory of God. We all make mistakes. No one's perfect, but God is. And in his perfect love for you, sent Jesus to die for you, to pay a price you couldn't pay, so that you could be made new. And the Bible says if you want that heart for yourself, all you need to do is believe, is to say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he's willing to die for me. Today I give you my heart. Make me new. And if you do that, the Bible says you're new. You're a new person. Science says you can't change. I don't care what science says because I have seen more life change in my life. And I'm one of them. I was the nastiest, most prideful person you would have ever met in college. When I found out there were Christians near me in college, I mocked them. And I made sure they had a very terrible, no-good day. And it was fun. And then God got a hold of my heart and realized, oh, you're not so perfect. You're not so holy. You're not so wonderful. But I love you. And I'm going to send you on a new destination. So what do you want to do with your bad day? I hope you'll fix your eyes on Jesus. Change your attitude. That's what Alexander did. His family was so blessed. They had amazing blessing because of the worst day they've ever had. And I believe that for all of us. doesn't take away the bad day. But the blessing is enormous when we put our trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to praise you and thank you that we can come to this place, that we can come here um, in our brokenness, we can come here with our bruises, (laughs) and just be real before you, God, and real before one another, (laughs) and be grateful of your love. (laughs) Thank you, God, that you love us. (laughs) Thank you, God, that even in the terrible, horrible, no good days, You are with us. You've not abandoned us in those days. You are right there with us in the boat. You're right there with us on the island. You're right there with us in prison. You're right there with us when the snakes come. And we can trust that. So, Father, I pray for all of us today, regardless of where we're at in our journey in this life. I pray that you would change our hearts a little bit more today. For those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, I pray that you would change our hearts today. That we would leave here looking more like Jesus. That people wouldn't see a bunch of religious people, but people would see the heart of God. That they would see our love for you, God. That they would see our love for our neighbor. That they would see our love for this city, our love for this community, our love for the schools, our love for our politicians, our love. Let's knock off the hate and love. Father, I pray for maybe that person watching online or the person here who has given their heart to Jesus today. And I pray, God, you would bless them and bring them on an amazing journey as they follow you. Bring people into their lives who can guide them and love them on this journey. And Father, we pray this all the time at the church. We pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through your power at work in your church. And we're grateful that we're seeing it happen. We don't need to pray for revival. There's a revival happening in this world already. We need you to just get on board with it. Help us, Lord, to do that.